Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well. If you haven't, if you don't recognize me, uh, I did shave over the weekend. So it is. So I look at myself in the camera. It's a bit alarming. Kind of missed the stash already, but new look, new week. Um, what a weekend it was. Game sevens galore. NHL, NBA. Um, heading into a long weekend next weekend. I'm gonna let you guys know what I'm up to. I'm going to try to do a feat that I've done twice in my life uh, so far, and it's not easy physically, but I'm going to try to do it this week, so I'm going to let you guys know that. Um, Made some money over the weekend betting on Jordan Spieth at the Wells Fargo. We get the PGA Championship this week. We're going to tee that up. Uh, Seamus and me will make picks tomorrow, so we'll do that. Pick of the day today, feast or famine, we'll get into that. Um, as well as we always do here on to the point, but I mean, what a week I have so many different things that we're going to get into today. Um, you know, the future of players I want to talk about, I think there's multiple guys where I'm not sure they're back. I'm not sure they're going to play again. We'll talk about that. The heroes of these games, not all superstars. Uh, and I think last night's game, a crowning achievement, a, a career defining goal for one player in particular um, in the, the nightcap last night. So we'll talk about that. But if you're watching, if you're listening right now, if you're uh, on podcast later, you can see that the title of this episode is Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, which is the song, uh, The Sound of Silence by Disturbed. And of course, I'm referencing the Toronto Maple Leafs, who lost yet another Game 7 on Saturday night. With the loss on Saturday, I saw that they are now the the leader in the history of pro sports, the first team in the history of pro sports to lose in the first round five consecutive years, which is alarming. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like to see that, but I couldn't. But, I mean, you kind of forget how many years they lose uh, in the opening round. But, you know, what, what I found strange, and we're going to go through it all here, but what I found strange after the game was that it was very, um, it was more of a positive feel to this loss. It wasn't the normal negativity of Leafs Nation where, trade Nylander, trade Marner, I hate him. Uh, you know, there's you still hear the occasional yell, oh, Justin Hall is garbage, and Alexander Kerfoot shouldn't be on the ice in these two situations. There's some validity to that opinion. Um, but I found that different. That, you know, just being on Twitter, uh, being surrounded by, you know, a plethora of Leaf fans, it wasn't the normal vibe. I'm used to, you know, copious amounts of negativity, screaming at the television, I fucking hate this team. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not rooting for them again. These type of emotions are normal in my circle of friends, family, um, what have you. But why do, is there a different feel? That is, that's why I'm wondering. And I'll start by this. I'm, I'm, I'm upset the Leafs lost. Not because I root for the Leafs. I could care less that they win another game. I had them winning the series. They're the one series I got wrong. So if the Leafs hadn't a loss, I would have went eight for eight. So I'm frustrated with that, of course. Just 
selfishly. I would have liked to have been perfect on my picks. I wasn't because of Toronto last time I bet on them. Not putting any money on them going forward either because they seem to be the only team that cost me money. We'll move past that. But I, I, I look at the series. You could argue last year, you could argue this year, that the Toronto Maple Leafs deserve to win the series. And I think that'd be a fair argument. If I look at the seven games, and I'm still thinking about the series, I'm still thinking about the games. I watched them all. I lost every second of every game. The Toronto Maple Leafs outplayed Tampa. And quite frankly, I thought Tampa's best game, like Tampa's best game in the series when Toronto was involved. Because in games two and games four, Toronto was out to lunch. They were out of it, you know, game four, it was over by puck drop. But Tampa's best game in the series when Toronto was even adequate against them was game seven. And I still thought Toronto outplayed them slightly, although it was very close. But all in all, Toronto was the better team in this series. And you look at it, how was Toronto's goaltending? It was as good as you're going to ask for. Jack Campbell was superb in Game 7. Was great in Game 6. Now, you could argue he should have made this save in overtime when Vasilevsky kept making save after save. But Jack Campbell was great. How were the stars for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Austin Matthews had nine points. I thought he had a fantastic series. Mitch Marner, I think, had eight or nine points. Very, I thought he had a solid series as well. You, you got to credit the penalty kill a lot to him as well. And Tampa wasn't as great as I thought they'd be in the power play. So he was great. Morgan Riley, who I'm not normally the biggest fan of. I still don't think he's the number one defenseman. But I thought he had the best playoff series of his career this past round. So the goaltending was good. The stars were very good. You got good depth pieces step up in key situations. But yet you still lose in a series where Tampa wasn't at their best. Tampa lost Braden Point for two periods in game seven. He couldn't play. Steven Stamkos, and we'll get into heroes of these games, but to think that big Nick Paul was the hero for the Tampa Bay Lightning, was the game seven, game seven lightning rod. I don't think anybody had that in their bingo ticket, including me. But what, I, what I've come to after listing off all of that and saying Toronto was the better team and the Stars played well, they you know, answered the bell following the no-show last year. The only conclusion that I can come to, the only logical step I can take from point A to point B is that through all learning, learning all the lessons, through the experience, through the pain of losing, through a great regular season, and to the point we are right now. The Toronto Maple Leafs didn't learn how to do one thing. And it might be something they never learn how to do. And that's have the killer instinct to close out a series. Because Andre Vasilevsky was not going to lose Saturday night. Going into that third period, the Tampa Bay Lightning defended like their lives were on the line. They did not allow Toronto great looks in that third period. They defended. They blocked shots. They did whatever they had to do to win. 
And in that was a killer instinct to close it out saying, we're not going to let you tie this up because you're probably going to beat us. But they had that experience. They had that success to say, we can do this. We want to, in the conference final, we won a one nothing game against the New York Islanders. We held one nothing game and they did it again. Tampa has that killer instinct. They're a team that just, they need a little bit of room and they can close you out. Toronto doesn't. Austin Matthews is a great player. He hasn't proven that he's a closer yet. Mitch Marner, same thing. These are two spectacular players. Austin Matthews will probably win the heart, win the Ted Lindsay, and he's had a spectacular season, best of his career by a long shot. But he didn't close. He didn't, and that, that's just what it is. The referees didn't screw Toronto. The, the opposition didn't get breaks. This was a series that was extremely close, but one team found a way to score a second goal, and one didn't. A trade, trade deadline acquisition for the Tampa Bay Lightning scored the game-winning goal. What a trade by Julian Brisebois in hindsight. Toronto could have had Nick Paul if they really wanted him. Ottawa traded him in division. But what if Nick Paul made that difference for Toronto in a game seven? We'll never know. But I look at the game. I love their team is spectacular. It's very good. Toronto could have won that series and went on to win to go to a Stanley Cup final. No doubt in my mind. But you need to win the series. People can say forever, we would have won if we would have won that series. Teams have been saying that for decades. You think during that Pittsburgh era with Nashville and said, oh, we, if we only would have won that game. Well, you didn't. You couldn't do it. And what's even more, I think, frustrating for Leaf fans, although it's more of a positive vibe uh, today, if you are a Leaf fan, let me know in the comments. Maybe you're not as hunky-dory as I'm perceiving. I just, reading off Twitter, it seems like a more positive mindset than in years past. I don't see... I don't know how you learn to be a closer. I think you just have that in your gene. Doug Gilmore was a closer for the Leafs. He won series. He almost got them single-handedly to a Stanley Cup final, beating Wayne Gretzky along the way. He lost weight. He had broken bones, but he was a killer. He was a closer. Austin Matthews did not score a goal in Game 7. Mitch Marner did not score a goal in Game 7. Eventually, you got to look at your best player and say, come on. No, Tampa didn't have to. But who scored the game winner in game six when Matthews could have, when Marner could have? When I, when I said last week, I felt game six was game seven for the Leafs because you're not going to win a game seven against Tampa. You're just not. They almost did, but almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. It doesn't count for anything. But the Leafs, this is what I would say about them going forward. I would not expect major changes. Kyle Dubas should not be fired. Sheldon Keefe should not be fired. Toronto built a great team. Dubas did it his way. He hasn't won yet. But he's built a great team. 
He deserves another crack at this. If they lose in the first round next year, fire him. No problem. Because he hasn't had any success, and this core clearly can't do it. My one big move I could potentially see, but then I think this is still a long shot, is do they trade William Nylander? I don't think they will, but you never know. He's a such a frustrating player because he's uber-skilled, but you see him pull up to go into, go into a corner, and you just you want to lose it on him because he, he doesn't have that instinct, that will to pay the price. Like, guys are taking slashes going to the net. They're, Keandre Miller last night drew a penalty going to the net. Is William Nylander able to do that? Is he able to go into a corner and come up with the puck? I didn't see it all series long. So, I would not fire anybody. Not, not Keith. Do I love Sheldon Keith's antics on the bench? No, I think he's a whiner. I think he... He's reminding me of, of like the Penguins of old where Bosma and Crosby just would not stop bitching about the calls. Kind of like last night's Penguins. Um, but I, I that's one thing I don't enjoy about him, but I think he's an adequate coach. He hasn't deserved a firing. Dubas deserves another year. If you're going to do anything, and to me, uh, this is a tougher one, but to me, this is a justifiable firing. I'd fire Brendan Shanahan. Brandon Shanahan did the Shanna plan. They tore it down, fired the coach. He brought in Babs. He's been through the Babs era, the Horacek, bringing in Dubas and Keefe and all these great players at drafts. What has he won in Toronto? Nothing. Not one playoff series since taking over. Columbus has won playoff series since Shanahan's taken over. Teams that... People in Toronto, Toronto fans would ridicule because their small markets have been more successful than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Brendan Shanahan, he's given this reputation that he's this great, he's great in the front office. When has he proven that? Okay, he's drafted well high in the draft. Okay. How about your other draft picks? Your two defensemen that you took in the first round were healthy scratches Saturday night. Where did Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren fit into the equation? Is Rodian Amirov going to be a good NHL player? I don't know. He's going through a health scare, but it doesn't. he might come back healthy and still be a bust. Nick Robertson does not look close to being an NHL player. He's a second-round pick. He looks small. He doesn't really look ready to play in the NHL, quite frankly. So... You, you haven't won. Your draft picks haven't been killer. What are you doing? Why are you there? To me, if you're going to take your pound of flesh, take it from Shanahan because he's been there the longest. You don't know. I can't tell you what his job is, what it entails. What does he do on a day-to-day basis? Does he make life more difficult or easier for his employees or his He's the, he's the president of hockey operations. Well, you've been the president of hockey operations for a dismal franchise. Yes, you're not the New York Knicks level. Yes, you're not as pathetic as some of these other teams, but you haven't won a, a playoff round. That's not that hard to do. It really isn't. 
And yet, you know, losing a first round series for the Toronto Maple Leafs is like losing game seven of the Stanley Cup final to uh, the Boston Bruins or the St. Louis Blues. I don't know. But to me, this team is good. It is a good team. Do I worry about I'm always gonna worry about their killer instinct until they do not deserve any benefit of the doubt until I see them win. Period. It only takes one round to go on to win a Stanley Cup. But they haven't proven that they can do that. This offseason, Ilya Mikheyev is probably gone. Unrestricted free agent. He requested a trade at the beginning of the year. He had a good season. He learned, he got rid of his brick hands. He's fast. He's tenacious on pucks. He makes life difficult. I think a team will scoop him up and Toronto will not be able to match. Mark Giordano was a rental. To be honest, he got worse as the series got on. I thought game six and seven were his two worst games. Now you could make the argument, well, he's playing with Justin Hall. Fair. But I also think Hall's life was not easy because he had to play with Mark Giordano. So Gio won't be back next year, In a, I think, in a perfect world. Justin Hall. <sighs> I mean, some Leaf fans would say he cost him the season. That was a pick. On the Tavares goal, that was a penalty. I was watching the game. I said, that's not going to count. That's a pick. Yeah, blew it down. No goal. If he doesn't do, you could argue maybe he would have got to Tavares. He wouldn't have had that look. But if Justin Hall doesn't make that play, it's 2-2. Maybe it goes to overtime. Maybe the Leafs are playing tomorrow night in South Florida. Maybe. We'll never know. But he had a season where he was in the press box a lot. Then he gets back in the lineup. He was injured. The biggest flaw I have with Justin Hall is that he's not physical. He doesn't like taking hits. He's just a soft player. And I think... The Leafs have enough soft players that you don't need another one on the back end. I like I, said, I would have paid Timothy Lilligren above him. And I, you look at Bogosian on the other side. He didn't play a perfect game in Game 7. But I prefer to have Bogosian over Justin Hall if I, if I had to pick one to have in my defense score. Because I know one's tough, strong veteran that will do what it takes to win. While the other will, I think, whimper and find a way to lose. So Justin Hall, he's got another year in his deal. I don't think he'll be in Toronto next year. Now, the most interesting player in all of this, because these are bit pieces, they'll find another guy, they'll sign cheap guys and hope that they can have David Camp, they can have Michael Bunting type seasons for this team. The most interesting cog in all of this is Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell is a good goaltender. He had a very good playoffs. In my opinion, um, game five, uh, game four, he was rough. But I thought in, in game uh, game uh, three of the series, in game five, he was very good. And in game seven, he made some key saves, especially on that power play at the midway point of the third period. So he had a good postseason. But the 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 question is, what's the number? Because that's where we live now. We're in a salary cap era. And everybody has a number. Everybody has a value. Jack Campbell, 30 years old, career backup, American Hockey League guy, you know, 
you know, down in the ECHL, he's gone through the ringer, former first, first round pick of the Dallas Stars. But he's turned it around. He's a good goaltender. I think the Leafs are going to re-sign him, but I'm curious what the number will be. Because there isn't that many great options available. I mean, the Flower is going to be an unrestricted free agent, but I don't think he wants to go to Toronto, and I'd rather have Campbell than the Flower. That might sound like a big statement. To me, it's not that hard. I'd rather have, I'd rather have the Flower. Could you pry Jake Allen from Montreal? That's a debate for me. I, I'd probably rather have Jake Allen. But again, Campbell, Allen are close in their, in their, and the way they play the game. If Jack Campbell wants a four-year deal at five million bucks, I have a hard time giving him that because Jack Campbell is constantly hurt. So signing Jack Campbell to four years, five million means that your backup goaltender is going to be making very little money. And we, I think last year we saw what they thought of Jack Campbell where they signed Peter Morazic to basically have a tandem. Well, was Jack, Jack Campbell the first three months of the season was great. But I think what people also forget is, yes, he did get injured. But in the middle, before that injury, he was terrible. He had one of the worst save percentages in the NHL. That doesn't just get swept under the rug. That's on his resume. So... If you can get Jack Campbell back for Morazic type money and you can move Morazic out, trade him, you'll have to put a sweetener in there um, to get rid of him. But a team will take him. Arizona, I think, would, would take him that money just to get to the cap floor. So there's a possible trade partner. They've done multiple deals with Arizona in the past. Um, but... If it's that type money at 3.94 million, I'd be all on board. But the 5 million mark is the sticking point for me because that's a lot of money for a goaltender. Of a guy like that would be, he'd be making more money than Frederick Anderson. And to me, when healthy, Frederick Anderson's a better goaltender. And I realize Frederick Anderson's not playing in these playoffs for an unknown reason, but he had a better regular season than Campbell this year. And he was likely fourth or fifth in the Vesna race. So he, he he's not making $5 million with, with the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. So that, that's kind of how I look at this, is that would be my sticking point. But that's the most interesting angle, because I don't think they trade William Nylander, because you're not going to get that kind of value on the open market. Obviously, you're not trading Matthews. You're not trading Marner. Bunting will be back. He didn't have a great playoffs, but I think he played hurt through a lot of that. Um, your back end, there'll be some changes there. Can, you know, also Jake Muzzin. I thought he played okay in the playoffs. What's his health status? You know, to think you're going to go into a season and this guy's going to be healthy throughout, that would concern me. He's extremely good when he's healthy, but he wasn't playing great this year, even before his injury. So what's his status? Um, Going throughout the lineup, Spezza, I think he retires. If I'm the least, I don't bring him back. Um, maybe you hire him and you uh, he's on the management team or something. He's a, a player development coach. I could see that. I just I don't believe in token contracts. I would you don't just sign a guy because he's a good guy. You have to earn you have to earn your way onto the roster. 
to me, he played in these playoffs kind of just out of a token contract. And does Jason Spezza want to be Joe Thornton? Does he want to be Patrick Marlowe at the end of their at the end of their uh, hockey lives where they really were ineffective and they didn't play. And I think that's the role he would have. He'd be in the press box more than he would be on the ice. So I wouldn't be lining up to bring Jason Spezza back, bring in a younger piece, bring in a guy that can play in that fourth line and provide a role for the team. But again, it's a good team. You're picking here is you lost to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions who have the winning intangibles, who have that killer instinct. And on Saturday night, they had a player step up in a big way. Nick Paul was really important in the series for Tampa. When it comes to penalty killing, he's great on face-offs, and he gets two goals in a game seven. That was a good trade, the trade deadline. It worked out where I thought Giordano played well at the beginning of the series, and it didn't really pan out towards the end. Ilya Labushkin was a good deadline acquisition. I thought he he played very well. I don't know how much money he's going to want in the open market, but I'm sure Toronto would like him back, pair him with Morgan Riley full-time. It's nice to have a physical presence alongside a skilled Morgan Riley. But I don't think there should be panic for the Toronto Maple Leafs because as we look at Tampa, who knows how far they're going to go in these playoffs. They got Florida coming up. We're gonna. I'm going to preview. Uh, Sheamus will come on tomorrow, and we'll preview all the second-round playoff matchups. But we'll talk about that tomorrow on the Battle of Florida. But Tampa's going to be a year older. Maybe they go on another deep run. Eventually, you run out of gas. I mean that that that's a that was a that was talk. That was fodder in this series. Well, if they keep playing, if they keep going deep again, that eventually they'll eventually hit a wall. The Boston Bruins, who we'll get to, are getting older. Maybe they lose their captain. Who knows what happens in Boston? I still think their coach could be fired. We saw a couple of movements today in the coaching ranks. I think Bruce Cassidy could be let go before too long. So where do they go? Florida, they did a lot this year to, to um, compete. You know, They traded for Drew. They traded for Sherratt. They're going to be low on first-round picks. They're still going to have good players, but again, their depth isn't going to be as good. So Florida might be in a, in a worse position next year than they were this year. So as you go through the division, it's not going to be as strong, I don't think. So the Leafs will likely come into the season very confident because they're going to have a similar roster. They're young. They'll be well-rested, as they are every year, and, and ready to go. So there is reason for optimism, but my one big concluding point here is I wouldn't feel confident about this team going into next season because I haven't seen a killer instinct. You, you, I haven't seen a player have a game seven where I'm like, that was it. You can have confidence in, Jack, in Andre Vasilevsky in, in a closeout game. He has allowed one goal in his last six elimination games. That is unheard of. That is what you call clutch. That He, he could go on a run where Tampa's beat up point is doubtful for game one tomorrow, likely not going to play. You know They're beat up on, that, on, on Tampa. He could win them a couple series. You never know they're raising the Stanley Cup again. That's not out of the realm of possibility. But is there that player on Toronto? They're never going to have, again, goaltending is never going to be something where I think you're 
more confident in Toronto's goaltending than the opposition going into a playoff series. Maybe Boston, but I thought Swayman played really well in that series. Potentially, if he gets a start uh, before game three, then Boston wins the series against the Canes. So, Toronto fans, don't be too upset. I think you have reasons for optimism, but not that much optimism. You should be upset. You should be mad at this team. But I think for once, you shouldn't be mad at the coach. You shouldn't be mad at the general manager. You should be mad at the players. You should be mad at the fact that they didn't close when they sh- when they could have. They had a game six to close out the series, and they couldn't find a way to score an overtime goal. You should be mad that in the last two years, their overtime record is 0-3. You should be mad that in game seven on Saturday night, Tampa had more will than the Toronto Maple Leafs. They had more drive. They had more tenaciousness. They just, they wanted it more, in my opinion. And we'll see how much Tampa has left in the tank. And there's all this talk that, I mean, Sheldon Key said in his press conference that this is a different feel this year because we felt more respect in the handshake line than we ever had before. Is that what you're playing for, Sheldon? You're playing for respect? I don't know why that comment was made. You felt more respect in the handshake line. So does that make you happy that Tampa really... And Tampa said it was the toughest series they've ever been a part of. I don't buy that. I really don't. Maybe that's maybe that's the truth. But I, those series against the Islanders, the Islanders in the conference final last year when it went to seven, game seven overtime, one nothing. That was a pretty damn hard-nosed series. Barry Trotz was lining, matching lines, and it was a physical affair. I don't. I maybe maybe that's the truth. And maybe it's because it's their third run at the cup that they're more tired. It was harder for them to get through. And they did look lethargic in this series at times. So maybe that maybe they're not BSing. Yeah, I don't buy it, but maybe they are. But if you're playing for respect, if you're playing for the, the opponent to, to really think that you're a tough team and you're tough to go up against, then go play darts at the local Y. Go play pool at Dooley's. You don't play the games for respect. You don't play the games to get adulation from the opponent when they have to prop you up after beating you. I don't think the Pittsburgh Penguins today would be real happy, would be, oh, we feel really good that Igor Shesterkin respects Sidney Crosby and respects Brian Rust and the fact that we had a really tough series. They wouldn't care because they won. They, they only When you taste winning, the only thing you want is more winning. Maybe that's my naive take saying, well, Toronto's never tasted winning. They wouldn't know it if it hit them in the face. So maybe that's just the way it is. But the fact that that was a, something said, that you felt better about the handshake line, that they gave you an extra tap on the ass or a kiss on the cheek that uh, because you fought hard. I mean, move over. That again, that's nothing to it. That that's that's a nothing burger. That that's just 
that's inconsequential. It's irrelevant. So we go on to next year. Lots of playoff hockey left. Toronto being out doesn't change my life one bit. Still going to have lots of great content. Still going to watch lots of great hockey. I know I have a lot of viewers that are Leaf fans. I feel for you. I don't care. I don't, you know, I don't feel bad for you. You make your bed, you lie in it. But I hope that you can feel better about this eventually. But you will. You'll get over it. And then life goes on. You'll watch the games tomorrow night, and you forgot that Toronto played Tampa. It'll be gone before you know it. You'll be enjoying the hockey. So that's all I can say. That, that's my post-mortem of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't expect big changes. What happens in that? That's my biggest intrigue this offseason. Is there a wild card that I don't see coming? What happens with Peter Morazic? Is Shalgren an answer going forward? Um, that That's my biggest interest point when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Forever. The Toronto Maple Leafs and Edmonton Oilers were linked because both teams have superstar high-end talent and they've had limited to no playoff success. Austin Matthews on Toronto, Connor McDavid on Edmonton, Dreisaitl, Marner, Darnell Nurse, Morgan Riley, and you go through the lineup. But these two teams would, would lose in the first round. Edmonton would miss the playoffs. And it was constantly, well... What are we doing here? You're just looking at the lineup saying we have all this talent and we can't find a way to win. Well, Saturday night, Toronto kept that trend going. And for a while, it looked like the Edmonton Oilers were going to join them on the St. George's golf course, you know, early this morning, maybe later this week when they, uh, after they clean out their lockers. But what we saw in game six and seven from the Edmonton Oilers was something that I've never seen before from this team in the playoffs. And that was that Connor McDavid went completely legend. And I think he showed that he is the best player in the world by refusing to lose. Saturday night, he just wanted it more. The LA Kings played a good, solid defensive style. They played good hockey. They made it frustrating on him. But he just said no. He was unrelenting. He had a fantastic series, and getting the the go-ahead goal to make it 2-0 late in the third period on just an incredible play, Connor McDavid just showed more and more why he was not going to be denied in this series. He was not going to be pushed to the side. He was not going to be kept to the perimeter. He was the man. He had an impact. Sure, he had help. Evander Kane had a great series. You had dry saddle at times, despite playing with a high ankle sprain that may keep him out uh, to start the Battle of Alberta in round two. But Connor McDavid was the guy. Mike Smith was fantastic. Mike Smith, at 41 years old, gets a shutout in a game seven against Jonathan Quick, two, two veterans. Mike Smith was great when he had to be. There's still times you look at him, you're like, how is this guy still playing in the NHL? But he made big plays. But Connor McDavid in games six and seven played over 27 minutes. He was called upon 
to do everything he physically could to help this team win, and he did it. But he didn't just put up points. He didn't just score goals. We saw McDavid the way I've never really seen him when it comes to his defensive play. He back-checked. He, he picked up people mid-ice. He lifted sticks. He got back into his own zone. And I think in this moment, he realized after being down 3-2, after Adrian Kempe scored the OT winner in Game 5, he looked at himself in the mirror and said, I had four points tonight. I was epic. I was Connor McDavid. But we still didn't win the game. And he probably looked in the mirror and said, Darnell Nurse is not playing. We got a weak defense core. I got a 40-year-old goaltender. I need to do more when I am on the ice. And if I need to sacrifice high-quality scoring chances for great defensive play, for back-checking, for giving a shit 200 feet, so be it. And it paid off. It was only 2 nothing, But I saw him just say, you know, I need to be everywhere. And he was. He was skating like a man on a mission, a guy that would not be stopped. And not only, but he plays great defensively, but he also gets a big goal. It was a perfect combination of McDavid just having it all on Saturday night. But you look at the guy who opens the scoring. It's not a Connor McDavid. It's not a Dreisaitl. It's not a Nugent Hopkins. It's not a, you know, a first overall pick that Edmonton has a plethora of. It was Cody Ceci who they signed in the offseason, the much maligned Cody Ceci, who I still don't think is a great player, but he scores a big goal. Scores a big goal to open the game midway through the second period, and then Edmonton holds on. They play good defensively in front of him. McDavid ices the game. And Edmonton, this is Connor McDavid's second trip to the second round of the playoffs in eight seasons which is crazy to think of. The best player in hockey, this is only his second trip to the second round. He lost to LA a number, uh, sorry, lost to Anaheim a number of years back. Who knows where this goes? They're going to play the Calgary Flames in the second round in the Battle of Alberta. But they have a chance with him playing the way that he is. Now, Leon Dreisaitl is injured. He does have, it's confirmed he has a high ankle sprain. He might even miss game one of the second round. Because they want him to rest it. They want, you know, he, he played through a significant amount of pain on Saturday night. And I'm sure they're thinking, well, if you could have him later in the series, that would be better off for us. And they'd have to make some changes to that lineup. You got, you know, Kane and Yamamoto. What are you going to do with your when it comes to the center ice position? Nugent Hopkins is going to be called on to do more. He might even be be called upon to do more with dry settle ailing to provide something offensively. But kudos to the Edmonton Oilers. They were down 3-2, and they found a way to come back and win the series. They were able to close. Yes, it was the LA Kings, who aren't a great team. But at the same time, it doesn't matter. you got to beat the, the opponent that's in front of you. They found a way to win point blank in the period. LA still, they're a frustrating team because they're so defensive. They play good structurally. And I think LA was playing for a lot because they got pride. They got veterans on that team. Quicks 36. And also Dustin Brown was played his last NHL game on Saturday night. Dustin Brown, the former captain of the LA Kings, said before the playoffs that this is going to be his last kick at the can. 
he was going to play this series or, or and beyond, and that was it. Well, now that they're eliminated, Dustin Brown is retiring from the National Hockey League. That stage of his career is over. So Dustin Brown moves on from the LA Kings. Andre Kopitar is going to be a year older. You got Philip Deneau, who signed long-term, who had a great season. You got Kempe, who had a career year with 35 goals. You got some young players. Byfield still hasn't looked like he's producing much yet, but maybe he'll take a step next season. As I watch the playoffs, you know a guy like Alexi Lafreniere, who went first overall, Byfield went second. Lafreniere's played a few seasons. He's finally starting to show some signs. I really like his game in, the, in these playoffs. His aggressiveness, just the way he's attacking the game, he's finally starting to figure out what his role will be on a winning team. But LA is going to be a different team. No Dustin Brown. Jonathan Quick's got one year left. Do they move him in the offseason potentially? Kopitar's a year older. Drew Doughty didn't get to play this whole playoffs. But they're an extremely young team. Maybe Rob Blake will look to add to this roster with um, some veterans to come in and play well because they had 99 points. And in the Pacific Division, yes, Vancouver, who decided to bring Bruce Boudreaux back, should be better next year with him starting from the beginning of the season. But San Jose, I don't think it would be much better. Anaheim's still trying to figure it out. They're another young team. Calgary, Edmonton. Who knows? Who knows in the Pacific how that's going to go? But it's we know the future of Dustin Brown, and it's in retirement. It's it's over. That's a body that they've been able to rely on for years to come. When you don't have that veteran anymore, sometimes it's a blessing because you're you're sick of them. They have a bad contract. They don't give you anything. Dustin Brown still brought a service. He was still physical. He could still play a defensive role. L.A. will be looking to fill that. You can sign a veteran, but you don't know if he's going to give you the same thing. You don't know if he's going to play well with that roster. So there's there's still some up in the air when it comes to the Los Angeles Kings, but they do have a promising future. I like a lot of players in their back end. Trevor Moore took a big step. He had a great playoffs. Alex Iafalo didn't have a great postseason, but he's a guy that I think they can continue to hope to grow. Arthur Kaliev's got a great shot, the young American, who's only 20 years old himself. So with Kaliev and Jordan Spence and you know uh, Mikey Anderson on the back end and Sean Dersey, this team is set up well. I would keep Drew Doughty, of course, and hope that he can come back healthy. You got Cal- Calvin Peterson, who might just be the starting goalie from, from camp next year. He's an American netminder. Um, and this team, you can if you can supplement it with some veterans, they should be able to come back and, again, compete next year in the Pacific Division, maybe potentially even for the division crown. But credit to the Edmonton Oilers. They find a way to get through a series. It doesn't matter who you play as long as you get by it. And they win the series. McDavid goes legend, scores a highlight real goal. He's fired up. He celebrates on the play. And again, kudos to Edmonton for finding a way to get by that hump and having some success after a season with a lot of peril and a lot of you know, just just a lot of up in the air, like what's going to happen here in Edmonton long term. And again, some series you just need to win it. You just need to escape it. You you have a tough matchup, and you you get by it. And that is exactly what I think happened with the Calgary Flames. 
Best of seven series, obviously, Calgary-Dallas. And the Dallas Stars are a frustrating team to play against. They're a team that's been in the playoffs. They're a team that will check you to death. They don't give you much space. And they are just irritating to play against. Guys like Group A Hints, guys like Dennis Gurionov, Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan. These guys don't bring a whole lot to the table offensively, but they still play a great defensive role. They're frustrating guys to play against. S.L. Lindell in the back end. And they just don't make a whole lot of mistakes. They might get outshot by a bunch, but they'll play well defensively and score goals in transition when they have to. And in this series, Calgary was far and away the better team. In almost every game, I'd say Calgary played better than the Dallas Stars. But what we saw was a just a blossoming superstar in goaltender, American goaltender Jake Ottinger, who had a 937 save percentage in this series, and he lost the series, if you can believe it. He was as good as you can ask somebody to be. He made big save after big save. He was cl- he robbed Tyler Toffoli, I don't know how many times, Toffoli finally got the better of him to tie the game last night. But Jake Ottinger was the sole reason that this, this series was close. In game six, Johnny Gaudreau had three high-quality scoring chances in the first period. Matthew Kachuk was all over the puck, but Jake Ottinger made save after save, and Dallas was able to score quickly after. And last night, it looked like Jake Ottinger was going to be the hero again, where Jamie Benn scores 40 seconds in. And then 40 seconds after the Calgary Flames tie the game, Dallas goes up 2-1. So Dallas had to just erase momentum, erase the crowd every time Calgary got back into the game. But eventually, Toffoli tied it, and we went to overtime. And you got a feel for Jake Ottinger because he made 67 saves last night. His career high, he had 67 saves to Markstrom's 27. And Markstrom was great in the series as well. But last night, Markstrom just had to make the saves he had to in the overtime. He wasn't tested much. That can be a tougher position to be in. But eventually, Johnny Goodrow took a shot from, from a bad angle. Ottinger should have made the save after all the incredible ones he made. It fooled him, got into the back of the net. And the Calgary Flames escaped with a series win and will now host the Edmonton Oilers. But looking at it at its face, Ottinger is fantastic. Dallas has a goaltender of the future after Bishop, Hudobin, Wedgwood, all the guys they've gone through, they, they have a goaltender of the future that they can bank on. But what, to me, the bigger moment last night was who scored the game-winning goal. Johnny Goodrow has been in Calgary for a very long time. Out of school, he came to Calgary, out of uh, Boston College. A great college player, Johnny Hockey. He was in the, right around when Johnny Manziel was at Texas A&M. And he, he's had a great career. Could argue he should have been nominated for the Hart Trophy this year. He didn't. It was Shostorkin, McDavid, Matthews. But he had a great year. He led the NHL in plus minus, if that means anything to you. But he had the best season of his career. But I think everybody always pictured Johnny Goodrow as a great regular season player who didn't get it done in the playoffs, who didn't get involved physically, and he's had limited limited success. And that was true. 
But I think last night, that overtime winner in a Game 7 was a career-defining goal for Johnny Goodrow. Yes, it's only a first-round series. And maybe he'll have to prove it more, but I thought he was Calgary's best forward throughout the series. Kachuk got better as the series got on. He got a, he got a goal last night. But Goudreau just is the engine of that offense. He is the driver for the Calgary Flames. And you even saw Daryl Sutter, who has no reaction, really praise Johnny Goodrow for what he's done for this team, buying into his system and having the success that he's had. But he's a, he was a regular season player. He was just always Johnny Goodrow. He's an American. He doesn't win in the big moments. Well, he got the series-clinching goal last night. You don't get many Game 7 overtime winners. Johnny Goodrow now has one on his resume. I credit I credit him for finding a way to beat, beat Ottinger, number one. But Calgary didn't have a whole lot of depth scoring in this series. Dallas had less, but Calgary didn't have a whole lot. Backlund and Majinopani scored up for Game 5. But it was on Goudreau, it was on Lindholm, and it was on Kachuk to do what they'd done all year. I think they were the best line in the NHL. And it was only fitting that on the overtime winner last night that all three had a hand in the goal. All three had a, all three touched the puck, all three on the score sheet to get the Calgary Flames to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Goudreau is an unrestricted free agent. I think as long as this playoff run goes, the better odds of him returning because they're having success. Daryl Sutter's going to be back. And I think they got to feel really good about their chances about moving on to the conference final. Again, they just went through seven with Dallas. I don't think he, they expected to go through seven with, with Dallas. But I said before the series, I thought Dallas was tough. They're a team that's been to a Stanley Cup final. They got a whole lot of veterans. They got pride. And I didn't know their goaltender would be that good, but he turned out to be that good. But for Calgary, you have Johnny Goudreau playing extremely well. Lindholm had a great series. Kachuk is starting to play better. Their defense core, they didn't have um, they had an injury last night. Michael Stone's playing really well coming off the bench. I thought I think Hannafin's been been really good. And uh he, he's looked really solid in this series. So they got to hope for some depth scoring. Dubé add a little bit to the table and guys like that. Um, Backlund and Majinapani can continue to be really strong defensively. They got to hope for that. But, I mean, with their top line, they, they can beat anybody because they're that efficient. They're that good. Um, but kudos to Calgary. Daryl Sutter. He took over, and he's had a ton of success. He gets them to the second round. That was his 11th Game 7 last night, head coaching. That's the most in the history of the NHL. He's 8-3 and three in Game 7s. That's a damn good record. Um, he's won two Stanley Cups, and I'm sure he feels like he can win a third one with the Calgary Flames in his second stint with the team. Went to a Cup Final in 4 and lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. But... And the Flames, for the Stars, Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan are still under contract. I would be trying to move one, if not both of them. I don't know what team is going to take them, but they're big tickets on the team. Dallas, and like they got Pavelski locked up for another year. Robertson's a great player. Rupe Hintz had a good season. I like Gurionov. Klingberg's an unrestricted free agent. So they have a weird kind of, what's going to happen with this team? 
They're young, but also old. They're, Rick, does Rick Bonus come back as head coach? He's been there a while. I think he's got one year left on his deal, but he might want to retire. I know he's in his 70s. He's been coaching for over 40 years. So maybe Rick Bonus goes away, and that's another head coaching open uh, vacancy in the NHL because there's a lot of them right now with you know Philly and Detroit, Winnipeg, um, Vegas today, which we'll, which we'll touch on. So maybe Dallas is another opening for a head coach if, if Bonus decides he does not want to return as head coach. But Flames Edmonton for the first time in 30 years. 1991 was the last time there was a Battle of Alberta. I think it's going to be a really fun series. I think it's going to be a physical series. You got guys like Kachuk and Cassian and Evander Kane, Zadorov and Goodbranson on the back. It's going to be a tough physical series. And we'll pre. I'm, I'm saving the previews because we're going to do that tomorrow show. I will preview everything tomorrow. The, the four second round playoff series in the NHL. We'll preview the NBA uh, Eastern and Western Conference Finals tomorrow. But I uh, I think that'll be a, a bloodbath of a series between the two Canadian teams left in the playoffs. The, the New York Rangers are such an interesting team. You could lab, label them the comeback kids, the cardiac kids, the... Dead to rights is the word I have for them because there's multiple times in this series I'm like, they're done. They're not coming back. And somehow through all of it, they find a way to survive the Pittsburgh Penguins and move on to the second round. And last night, tight game throughout really another really entertaining game in the series. And they win the game on a, they tie the game on a controversial play where behind the net, Marcus Peterson is towing with. Um, Mika Zibanejad, and they're kind of wrestling. And Pedersen is just as involved as Zibanejad, but Zibanejad kind of yanks off Pedersen's helmet. Well, Pedersen is then looking at the ref, bitching about it. And for the record, he could have put his helmet back on and stayed on the ice. Instead, he skates to the bench. And Chris Letang is able to get on the ice. He's in a defensive position. His stick is light, and Zibanejad beats Jari over the right shoulder. So after the game, I heard Sidney Crosby, go figure. I heard Mike Sullivan complain that the referees missed this play and it cost them the series. Getting into the Rangers and the heroes of it all, but I want to address this first. First of all, Pittsburgh is always complaining about the referees. Pittsburgh fans are always complaining about the referees. It's always something. It's never that you just lost. It's never that your team just was inferior to the opponent, which I think in this case they were, it's always, it's never your fault. And those are the worst type of people in life. You ever meet somebody where their life is shitty and you're trying to give them, you're trying to tell them what they could do to make it better. Like maybe, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this extreme. There's just an example. Somebody's doing drugs and you're telling them, okay, could you, could you go to rehab? Try to get better, you know, wean off. I'll, I'll help you do it. But they're like, no, no, my life's great. And they live in a, a shitty apartment. And you're just, okay, well, you're, you're eventually going to crash and burn. I've done my part to try to help. You don't want to help yourself. Well, the and these people are constantly a burden. They're constantly bitching about their situation and they're causing it. Pittsburgh is like that for me. 
Sidney I love Sidney. Sidney Crosby is one of the best, and I have to say that every time, and I don't feel like I should have to, but I do it anyway. He's one of the best players of all time. No doubt about it. Top 10, one of the best players. Great, great player. He's also one of the yappiest. He's also one of the most complain. Just he bitches about just every call. Mike Sullivan on the bench bitches. I mean, it's it's getting worse and worse with head coaches, but these guys just bitch and complain about everything. For the record, the Pittsburgh Penguins had five power plays last night. They scored on two of them. Good power play. Second unit, anyway. First one, not so great. Um, but you scored on two. You had five power plays in the game, and you're you're complaining about a missed call. When Marcus Pedersen could have put his helmet back on, one. But Chris Letang was on the ice in position. That did not cost you the game. You could say, okay, that wasn't a penalty in overtime. Okay. I'll buy. I'll go with you on that. But it's, it was still, it was a close call. Maybe don't let Keandre Miller burn you, Brock McGinn. And that's what happened on that play. But the referees did not cost Pittsburgh in this series. The, the referees did not have a conspiracy to hurt. You know, Jacob Truba didn't intentionally hurt Sidney Crosby. Again, enough with this. Enough with the Pittsburgh Penguins bitching about the referees. You lost because New York is better than you. Period. Now, last night. I think the New York Rangers can match anyone when it comes to their best players' clutch intangibles. And what I mean by that is, you look the last couple games, who's just played fantastic for the New York Rangers in the must-win games. It was their best players. I I talked about Nick Paul earlier. Cody Cece scores a big goal. And sometimes Game 7 has these weird-type events, right? But in Game 5, it was, you look and you... Zabinajad scores a goal and Kreider. So their best players. Game six, Zabinajad scores a pair. Kreider gets the game winner. So again, it's their best players. And then last night, Kreider scores the first goal. Zabinajad ties the game. And my buddy, aka Shower, as I've nicknamed him, Artemi Panarin scores the overtime winner. So it was their their top guys. The best players of the New York Rangers delivered in the big moments. And that's what you expect. And, of course, Igor Shosturkin. He had a terrible start to the series, but he made some pivotal saves last night. After Zabinijad tied the game, he robbed Gensel in tight. He made some big saves on Brian Rust to get that game to overtime. And... He rebounded extremely well. He's nominated for the Vesna for a reason. New York, I like their team. They're going to be playing the Carolina Hurricanes. I think that's going to be an interesting series because Carolina plays such a good structural game. They have great fundamentals. Where I look at the New York Rangers and Gerard Gallant, that's never been a part of his repertoire, is to have his teams structurally playing well, have really good systems, they, they just don't. Their defense core is kind of run and gun. Their forwards don't back check all that hard. They take big risks, but they live and die by it, and they got them to the second round of the playoffs. So, but I thought Adam Fox played a lot better as the series went along too. I thought he had a good game last night when he's playing with Lindgren. Keandre Miller, again, he he gets the second goal of the game. on It hits a defenseman. Mike Matheson skate, finds his way into the net. 
draws a penalty in the overtime winner. So he had a big game as a young defenseman himself. So, you know, they didn't have Barkley Goudreau, who's a big winner. He's out. He was out for most of the series. Tyler Mott got inserted. He had a really good game last night. The Rangers are going to be an interesting team because, again, they're going to play the Canes. We'll talk about the Canes and Bruins in a second. But I like watching the Rangers. I find them extremely um, interesting. I find them extremely compelling to watch on television. Again, I don't find their fundamentals are good, but they do have superstar. They have great player clutch intangibles that you can't teach. Ask Toronto. Ask what was I thinking? Minnesota. Minnesota and Toronto are so similar where they always get to the first round and they never find a way to win. Minnesota loses to St. Louis. I mean, that's they always get they always put, make the playoffs, but they can never find a way to win a series to do anything of anything noteworthy. So for the Rangers, a young team to break through, I think it means a lot. Again, I thought Alexi Lafreniere had a great series. He's playing like a grown-ass man out there. He's physical. He's making a difference. He's setting up people. He's playing with Heedle. He's playing with Kako and the young kids line. What happened late in the game? Gerard Glantz kind of putting the blender out there. He had him. Lafreniere played with um, with Kreider and Zabinijad late in the game on that tying goal. He separates the man from the puck. He helps create a turnover, and Zabinijad makes him pay. So he's getting more and more opportunities because he's earning it because he's starting to show that, yeah, I was drafted first overall for a reason. He might never have that high end skill that he had in Ramuski, but he's, but he does have a fizz. He's a big body guy. He's not afraid to throw his weight around and he is a handful on the ice for the New York Rangers. Now, when it comes to Pittsburgh, the future of the Penguins, Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin are unrestricted free agents. I, I'll be honest. I don't think the Pittsburgh Penguins should re-sign Evgeny Malkin. I don't think he had a very good series. I think he takes stupid penalties. I think he's always aloof. He's never engaging. He's just he's an afterthought. He's just another guy now. He's a jag, just a guy. Chris Letang had a, a solid series. You want to bring him back because you want to keep it competitive. Crosby's got one year left on his deal, and that's the way you want to approach it. I'm okay with that. But to sign of getting Malkin to appease Crosby, I honestly think Crosby's better off if they want to get rid of Malkin, free up that money, and try to find somebody else. Because they got a good team otherwise. Evan Rodriguez is a free agent. He had a really good series. I don't know if they'll be able to afford to keep him. I thought he played extremely well. I like Brock McGinn. I mean, Gensel had eight goals. That's not all just Sidney Crosby. Russ plays extremely well with Crosby. Um, Poor Brian Dumoulin. I love Brian Dumoulin, but he's always hurt. He always seems to be banged up. It's so important to have him on the back end. He's just not available enough. Reno, they got hope, can take another step. Jari, he didn't look healthy last night. Quite, It's kind of crazy that he played because he did not look healthy, but he's signed uh, to the team. So Pittsburgh's interesting because I just don't know what they do. Do they sign? You know, they got, like I said, they got Jari. So it's not like they're going to go sign the flower who's a, a free agent, at least I don't think. But do they bring Malkin back? I wouldn't let Tang if you want to, sure. But that wouldn't be an automatic for me. 
sometimes you have to look at yourself and say, we've been in the first round the last four years and we've lost in the first round every year. Since 2018, they've lost every season in the first round. That's four straight years you're losing in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And not every one of those seasons, it's the ref's fault. Sorry, Mike Sullivan. Sorry, Sid. But that's just the truth. So with, with the facts being the facts, you can't change it. I mean, if they lose next year in the first round, they would actually tie the Toronto Maple Leafs. So maybe something to look forward to there, Leaf fans. Um, do you what, – what, what do you do? I, I think you – for this team, I don't see them winning anytime soon. They're an older team. They Again, they have good players throughout the lineup. I like Jason Zucker, but again, he was injured, didn't have his full ability. I would have a serious chat with Sidney Crosby. And Sidney Crosby is still a great player. But if, you're, if your franchise needs to go through a full rebuild to get draft picks, to win a draft lottery, to do what you did before, then I think that's something they should explore. Because you can still get something for Sidney Crosby. He'd have a year left on his deal if you traded him this summer. I don't think they're going to do this, but I think it's something they should really consider. Because what you're going to keep him for another, if you resign, is he going to be happy? Maybe you resign him and then you trade him. And this might sound crazy, but if you, if you could sign Crosby to a two to three year extension, because he's still got lots of hockey left in him. And then the team that's trading for him knows that, okay, we have Sidney Crosby for another three years after this one. So four cracks, hypothetically. So if that team says, okay, well, we'll trade for Sid, you get more because there's more years on the contract. So would Sid do Pittsburgh a favor? And then well, Pittsburgh's also doing themselves a favor because you get that money off the books and you get a great player. You know, you, you trade a great player for hopefully some great assets. You get a great haul of a trade. I'm no GM, but I think that's something that would make a whole lot of sense. You re-sign Sid, it's a sign and trade. You re-sign Sidney Crosby and then you deal him to the team that wants him the most. I've heard I know Sid grew up a, a Montreal fan. I don't think Montreal's that far off from competing, but they're drafting first. If you have Sidney Crosby, if you have Shane Wright, if you have Nick Suzuki, I don't know what you'd have to give up in that deal for for Sid. Um Likely, uh, obviously, a roster player. You're going to lose a great player. I wouldn't want to trade Suzuki, but do you have to trade a guy in the back end? Do you have to trade first-round picks in the future? And, and I'm sure there's other teams as well. I don't think it's a must for Sid to play in Canada. He's played for the Pittsburgh Penguins for his entire career. That's not exactly a big market team. Sid's not great with the media. He's very benign. He's very boring when it comes to his media personality. So, but... I, I think you have to be creative in this league and just accepting that you're going to be mediocre because you have an elite player is not something I would, I ex would accept the Lakers should look to trade LeBron James. You're not going to be any good. So try to get better in the future. And if you have to trade away a great player now to do it, that's just the price of doing business. So that's something I think is an interesting thing to look out for is I don't think this will happen. But if you can do a sign and trade with Sidney Crosby to go elsewhere, 
I would do it if I'm Pittsburgh, if I'm Brian Burke, and I'm Ron Hextall, because you're not going to win a Stanley Cup with the team that you have right now. You might feel like you're, oh, we were really close, game seven, yada, yada, yada. Okay. But you lost to Montreal. You've lost to the Islanders. Like you, you, it wasn't just this year. You're always in the playoffs. You're always, you know, in the thick of it, but you don't find a way to beat the team that's in front of you. The last time they went to the second round of the playoffs, they lost to Washington in 2018. Second round, game six, Kuznetsov got the overtime winner. Washington ended up going on to win the Stanley Cup. Since that series, neither the Washington Capitals or the Pittsburgh Penguins have have won a first-round series. Four straight years of those two franchises with two great players of their generations just being mediocre. From Ovechkin, I, I'd want to explore the same thing. He just signed a big extension, but is he going to win in Washington? Not with that roster. T.G. Oshie's walking out the door in all likelihood with too much money. Their goaltending situation is in constant flux. Their defense core is extremely weak. I don't love their depth forwards. Nick Backstrom had a, a great postseason, but is he? until I hear he's coming back, I will still pontificate that he is on the verge of retirement. So, as crazy as this seems, as there are two sign-in trades or two of the most legendary players of the game, I'm all for it. Where's Ovi going? Where, where, where could Sid go? They're both going to be in Washington and Pittsburgh next year because the league's too boring to do anything like that. But just because you have a great player, you shouldn't just stay mediocre forever. You don't have the money to push the chips all the way. If Pittsburgh can find a solution where they could win a cup with Sid on the roster in the next one to two seasons, do it. But if you're if you're just going to be spinning your wheels with the same type roster, Sid's going to know this team isn't that good. And maybe he'll have a better opportunity elsewhere to win a four Stanley Cup. Just something to think about. Boston Bruins lost to the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 7. Really, the hero of that Game 7 was Max Domi, who had three points, didn't have a point in the series before that, two goals. He was another trade deadline acquisition. Big game for Carolina, for Rob Brennan, where he finds a way to make an impact. And Carolina goes 4-0 on home ice. And they now move on to play the Rangers, where they all have home ice in that series. And they're so tough to play against in Raleigh, North Carolina. I thought Boston would have a... They had their best game of the series when it comes to being on the road, but Carolina was still too much to handle. Auntie Ranta was solid between the pipes and still no word on Freddie Anderson if he'll be available for the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, you know, kudos to Carolina. Their defense was their leading scorers. Jacob Slavin and Tony D'Angelo both had eight points in the series, which led their team. So Svechnikov, Aho. We're not the main focus here. I thought Pesci had a hell of a series. You look around, their defense and their goaltending was solid when it had to be. And that that's the main reason why this team is moving on to the second round of the playoffs. And they're, they're tough to play against as well, where they're frustrating with Trocek's a pain in the ass. You have Netcash, Niederreiter. They're just a big physical group, and they're going to play the Rangers. They'll provide some, some pains that I don't think Pittsburgh did where they're not as fast as Pittsburgh. They might not be as quick in, in transition. But defensively, I think they they can 
limit New York's creativity and, you know, keep pucks in that New York zone where New York doesn't have a great structure. They don't play with great fundamentals, which could create some issues, but we'll save that preview for tomorrow. But um, great, like I said, Max Domi with, with a great game seven where he's really the, the hero of the game. And the postmortem begins for the Boston Bruins. And obviously it starts and finishes with their captain, number 37, Patrice Bergeron. He got emotional after the game. Brad Marchand got emotional after the game saying, I don't know what he's going to do, but you know, I'm always going to support him. He's earned the right to do whatever he wants to do. I said this before. I said this last week. If you listen to me. I, I told people before the game on Saturday, I think this could be Bergeron's last game. And I, they said, you're crazy. I think this is Patrice Bergeron's last game. He's not a restricted free agent. I think he's retiring. He is a great Boston Bruin. He's one of the best two-way forwards in the history of the NHL. He is one of the most unlikely great players where he wasn't a high draft pick. He had to work to get where he is, and now Shane Wright is being compared to Patrice Bergeron. You know, he, that, he's at that lore where you're like, okay, I think this guy's a Patrice Bergeron-type player. That's when you know you've really made it. He's going to be a, he's a Stanley Cup champion. He's going to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's still playing at a high level. He battled throughout this series. He had an eye injury where he got poked in the eye and he got stitches and, and came back into the game. The guy is a consummate professional. He's a warrior. And he really helped build the and keep the the aura, the the uh just the Bruin way, if you will, after Zidane Chara was after the Bruins told Zidane Chara to kind of move on. Patrice Bergeron took the captaincy and he kept the Bruin way going. He kept the way they played going. They were just a cons- an organization that seemed to always find success. They were an organization that never had many letdowns. They just were always consistent. They played hard hockey. and But eventually, the, the past couple of years, you're starting to see this team age. And you're starting to see this team have some contracts that haven't exactly paid off. Craig Smith hasn't been a great addition in Boston. Charlie Coyle is too hit and miss, despite being you know, a Massachusetts kids that a Massachusetts kid that they hope would really hit. They haven't had a great goaltender in the past couple of years. Tuka Ras retired. Swayman and Olmark are okay, but not great. Charlie McAvoy is great on the back end. I really like Brandon Carlo, but after that it gets thin. But if Patrice Bergeron retires, this opens up a huge hole for the Bruins that is not going to be easy to fill. You're going to lose one-third of the perfection line with Marshan and David Pasternak. You're going to miss the engine of that team, the leader of that team. And I, I think they're going to lose it. And I'm interested to see how the Bruins react to it, what, what they do to, to replace him. It's easy to say, well, Marshan's the next captain, and you move on from there. Sure. But who's in the middle playing with Marshan. It's always been Bergeron. And maybe he comes back, but I just have a feeling that Saturday was his last game. That that was it for him. He just said, you know what? I've done it all. I'm still playing at a high level. I'd rather go up playing at a high level. If I was a veteran player, I would look at the Joe Thornton stories. I would look at the Patrick Marlowe, even the Jason Spezza tales to a, a smaller matter and say, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm more of a detriment than I am a solution. I don't want to be in the press box watching games. 
I'll be in the press box watching games as a member of the organization in player development or one of these type scenarios. I don't want to be a veteran at the tail end of my career where I'm just I'm not playing. I'm I'm not a, I'm not a difference maker because it can come quick. It doesn't take long for you to lose it. Patrice Bergeron is still playing great, but he's not a great skater. All these things can leave you quick. He didn't he didn't have a great face off series, which is something that he prides himself on. So. I want to see him play again. I want to make that extremely clear, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to read the tea leaves here and saying, maybe this is Bergeron's last game. Maybe this is it. And what happened beyond with the Bruins, you're not going to replace that because there isn't a player that that's available. That's going to be able to fill that hole of your lineup where, where you have a number one centerman just gone from your team. And that might, I mean, there could be fireworks this summer in the NHL if certain things happen. To me, if Pittsburgh lets Malkin walk, that's a big hole. What do they decide to do with the rest of the roster? If Patrice Bergeron retires, what does Boston do? Is Marchand sticking around? Do they want him to stick? What what happens there? Um, do they want to rebuild? Like what? I think in Boston, another thing for me is what's up with Bruce Cassidy? There hasn't been any announcement yet, but and he's always making the playoffs as a coach. But I could see him get fired. There seems to always be some tension between him and Don Sweeney regarding the future of the organization, regarding players. I, I Maybe it won't happen, but I could see that happening before we know it when it comes to Boston deciding to, to fire him, bring a new coach, a new voice, and it's kind of a new era where they need to go through some growing pains and maybe as a younger coach as they, as they move through things. But that, you know, the Eastern Conference is, is going to be interesting to me because – those Washington, Pittsburgh, um, Boston, for a decade, these teams are, have been always making the playoffs. They're constantly in the mix. They're in the fight. They've all won a Stanley, at least one Stanley Cup in that time frame. But they're all getting old. They're all, they've been in the playoffs so long. They played a lot of hockey. And eventually you just can't, you run out of gas and your players ha- have run out of steam. They don't have it anymore. They're not going to be able to produce in the big moments like they once did, and you have to look elsewhere. You have to look to rebuild. You have to look to to what L.A. is doing, to what Chicago is doing. Some of these teams that have won in their era have already started a rebuild. And Pittsburgh, Washington, and and I think Boston's been better than these two teams, but they, they've decided to try to prolong their prime. Well, was that the right decision or would you rather get a kickstart on your rebuild to potentially being, you know, being compelling, being uh, better in the future? LA is already back in the playoffs. Chicago hasn't been yet, but as you recruit assets, as you recruit pieces, you get closer to being competitive. So these teams this off season are extremely interesting to me, what they do. And if they come back and just say, okay, we're going to be another playoff team this year and go out in the first round, and I'm saying the same thing next year, I don't love that plan of attack. I don't think that's a smart plan of attack, and I don't think you're getting very far with that mentality. But that leaves us with eight teams. You got St. Louis going to Colorado. You got the Battle of Florida with the Tampa Bay Lightning playing the Florida Panthers. You have the Battle of Alberta with Edmonton and Calgary, and you have the New York Rangers playing the Carolina Hurricanes. The four second-round matchups, 
We're going to, I'm going to break them all down tomorrow. Seamus will join me. We'll talk about those as well. So that should be great tomorrow. We'll talk about all four series. We'll talk about the key players. I'll make my predictions on who's winning the series. So all that is forthcoming tomorrow on the podcast. That should be a ton of fun. News and notes from around the NHL today. Uh, first announced this morning is that Lane Lambert, who was the assistant, longtime assistant coach of Barry Trotz, he kind of looks like the Wolverine on the bench. You've seen him before. He got hired to succeed Barry Trotz as the head coach in Long Island. So Lane Lambert is now the, the new head coach. He's a first-time head coach, and he'll take over on the bench. The Islanders had made back-to-back conference, conference finals. Then they missed the playoffs this year, so Lane Lambert will see if he can get that team back on the rails and back in playoff contention next season. Then later this afternoon, in a move I thought was going to happen, and just as I thought, well, it's not going to happen, it, 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 it's too late, the Vegas Golden Knights fired Peter DeBoer. I thought this was happening. I just thought it would happen two weeks ago when the regular season ended. But it comes out today that DeBoer has been fired in Pittsburgh, uh, sorry, in Vegas. He's a very good coach, but it was the first time that the the uh, the team had missed the Stanley Cup playoffs. They've already been through two coaches in Gerard Gallant and Peter DeBoer. Probably didn't help last night that Gerard Gallant and the New York Rangers advanced to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. DeBoer sitting there. Vegas is on their sitting on their hands watching the games, and I'm sure you know the owner and uh, co were, were not too pleased to see Gerard Gallant have success when their team is making no playoff revenue uh, this this summer. Um, so it's a big opening. Obviously you got Vegas where you look at the team and you got Jack Eichel and you got Alex Petrangelo and you got Riley Smith and, and, uh, and, uh, Mark Stone and a, a good roster on paper. They had a, just a crazy season where they missed the playoffs. And with DeBoer going, I don't know if DeBoer will get a job this year, I think he could sit and wait and get one eventually. They love to go through coaches. I do think he's a good head coach, however. Um, I think he made the conference finals last year. We have to remember that. Uh, you know, I'm sure people will be dunking on him, you know, that our friends at Gerard Gallant, that that Gerard got fired. But I do think Peter DeVore is a good coach. Um, to me, the logical, the logical answer in Vegas is to hire Barry Trotz. Because Vegas has a good team but they lack structure. They lack the system. And Barry Trotz is one of the best system head coaches in NHL history. He just, he puts guys in situations where you might limit yourself offensively, but you're going to play really good fundamental hockey. And I think Vegas has a roster that can do this. It might be tough for Eichel, but I think it'll help their defense core a ton with Petrangelo and Martinez and, and Shea Theodore. They don't have a, a great goaltender in Vegas in, in uh, Robin Leonard, so that will help him. And you look at the, what they did in Long Island. They had Simeon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin. Robin Leonard is as good or better than both of those goaltenders. So Barry Trotz is a veteran coach. If he wants another job, and I think, honestly, the way they've been firing coaches, the way they've been doing business in Vegas, they're making it really unappealing to go work there because they just fire people really quickly they trade trade away veterans with no thought no heart but Barry if Barry Trotz wants another job if Vegas is smart 
they should look at Barry Trotz to come in and coach their team. Make him a good offer. Pay him some good change. You can afford it. And I think he can really help this team going into next season. Maybe he just wants to work in management. Maybe he's tired of coaching. He's been doing it a very long time. But you see Bruce Boudreaux want to get back behind the bench. I think Barry Trotz still has something left in him. You look at it and you could say, okay, you're going to go coach in the Pacific Division. Yeah, Edmonton's there. Calgary, who knows? But it's extremely weak division. You should be able to get the way you coach, the way your teams go. You should be able to get Vegas back to the postseason next year. And who knows, maybe go on a deep run and you get another Stanley Cup added to your resume. But if I'm Vegas, Barry Trotz is the number one guy I call because they are a team that could use his coaching style. The way he approaches the game is exactly what the Vegas Golden Knights need. Vegas is available. You got Detroit, Philly, Winnipeg, potentially Chicago because they got an interim coach. I think they'll be looking for a new guy. Boston, again, I still have a question mark for me. There still could be some firings. But here's some names to look out for. Torts, I think, is still out there. I I think he might get a job somewhere. Philly is a disaster. Whoever gets that job, I think it's going to be a younger coach. I don't think you're taking a job there if you're a veteran. Torts in Winnipeg is interesting to me. He's coached in in, uh, in uh, Canadian markets before. He's he's used to it, I think, and obviously was in Vancouver. Um, I could see that being a fit. Uh, in Winnipeg with, with some of the veterans they have there. And um, maybe that would be a logical fit for for jo- uh, John Tortorella. I don't know if they'll go down that route, but that's a name. I, I guess I think Torts will get another job in the NHL. I don't think he's on the, the no sign list yet. Quenville, I think, might be leaning towards that list. I think Babcock is on that list. So I don't expect to see those guys. My coach that is... A relative unknown that wouldn't be a retread. This guy would be a first-time head coach. Is Chris Knobloch. Chris Knobloch coached in the Ontario Hockey League. He won an Ontario Hockey League title um, with the Erie Otters. He's had a, a successful uh, coaching career. He's been in the American League. He's been an assistant coach in the NHL. And I look at Philly potentially being a place for him, first-time head coach. You got a team that needs a lot of help, but maybe a younger voice, what they're looking for. They had Bino, they had Mike Yo. It didn't work there. Detroit, potentially, but they might want more of a veteran as they hope to get better sooner. But Chris Knobloch is, I, I'm going to keep mentioning him until he gets a job. I think he's he's always going to be out there for me. He's, he is a good coach. He's had success, maybe not as much on the NHL level, but just continuing to hire guys that get fired every time from NHL deals, I think is lazy. And I, I don't think it's something... That is that smart to be, you know, if I'm just being honest, that's not the best way to build a team. You want to build a smart team. You want to have some good people employed for you. I think Knobloch would be a smart guy to bring on to a, to a team. So again, you know, you get a fired coach, you get one hired today. There's still a lot of openings. There still could be some movement. Um, when it comes to coaching, I look at Boston as the easy answer for me. I don't expect Mike Sullivan's not getting fired in Pittsburgh. Um, Dean Evison is not going to get fired in Minnesota. He had a great season. Um, so I think that's the only place I could see something happen from, from this group. Um, that's the only team I, I, I see something that, that would make sense. But you never know. 
you never know when it comes to firing coaches at this point. Um, I'm going to talk some NBA in a minute, but I'm going to do the pick of the day, the feast or famine right now. No NHL and no NBA tonight, which is strange for me because I'm just like, well, what, what are we going to bet on? Um, you got, there's a lot of baseball on tonight. Some good pitching matchups. I, what are we going to do tonight? I like the Milwaukee Brewers at home minus one and a half. They're playing the Atlanta Braves. Good game, but you got Freddie Peralta. The Brewers are a really good team. So I like I like the uh, Milwaukee Brewers minus one and a half tonight. Um, then I'm looking across the league. Arizona Diamondbacks are not a great team, but Madison Bumgarner's had a great start to the season. He's he's been a he's been a surprise story so far this season. He's pitched against the Dodgers a lot, so I'm gonna go with the pick of the day: Milwaukee Brewers minus one and a half, Arizona Diamondbacks plus one and a half. So minus one and a half Milwaukee Brewers plus one and a half Arizona Diamondbacks winning on the road tonight. So those are the picks of the day um, for. Monday, May 16th. I'll put those in the story today um, when it comes to picks of the day. So that's Milwaukee minus one and a half at home. Diamondbacks plus one and a half on the road with Madison Bumgarner on the mound for the Diamondbacks. Now the NBA. Before we wrap today. Conference finals are set. Miami Heat, Boston Celtics, Dallas Mavericks, Golden State Warriors. Couple of things that really stood out to me yesterday. Number one, I thought this after the first round, and I was a little worried about it, and I didn't want to have a hot take. I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's, it's going to happen. The Boston Celtics are winning the Larry O'Brien Trophy. The Boston Celtics are going to be the NBA champions this year. If I'm wrong, I will admit it. I just don't see it happening. They beat the best player on the planet. And yes, the Bucs were missing Chris Middleton, a big piece, their second best player. But they still got by the series. You just need to win the series. You don't need to explain how you did it. They are to a conference final. They Their last conference final, they lost to the Miami Heat, go figure, uh, in the bubble. But... The Boston Celtics are a better team now. Jason Tatum is older. He's playing that game in game six, I think was the best game of his career where he dropped 40. He was just lethal from three. Every time he touched the ball, it went in the hoop. Grant Williams made seven threes uh, yesterday. As made Went seven for 18 from three, had 25 points. And eventually just drew the... Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks could not shoot threes. They only made four for the game. Holiday couldn't hit. Uh, Grayson Allen couldn't hit. And Giannis could only do so much by himself. Giannis is the best player on the planet. It, it, to me, it's not It's not even close anymore. He's, he's so damn good, but he couldn't do it all. He needed somebody. In other games, Drew Holiday stepped up. Yesterday... He played okay. He missed a lot of floaters in the lane. It wasn't his best game. I'll say that. He Could he have played better yesterday? Yes. But at the end of the day, do they even get to this point without Giannis Antetokounmpo? That is a resounding no. 
That's a resounding no way. They would have not, they would not have gotten this far without him. They end up losing 109 to 81 because they couldn't hit any shots. But the he had 200 points in the series, 50 rebounds, 50 assists. That's the first time somebody's done that in the history of basketball. Yesterday he had 25 points, 20 rebounds, 9 assists. Didn't shoot the ball well. But like I said, you look around. Drew Holiday at 21. That was in garbage time. Played 41 minutes. But it was just, it was Bobby Portis took fouls early, and really the second best player for the Bucks yesterday was center Brooke Lopez. The Bucks will be back. They're a very good team, but this season the Boston Celtics are going to be champions. I will tell Sheamus this tomorrow because he loves the Celtics. He's still doubting them. Don't. They're winning the title. In the Western Conference, wow. The second game yesterday, I don't even know what to call it. That wasn't a basketball game. That was a pig being slaughtered. The Phoenix Suns, the number one seed, the 62-win team, I thought they were going to the finals easy. I was wrong. They got crushed yesterday by the, by the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. 123-90. The game wasn't that close. It was more closer to a 50-point game than 30. At halftime, Luka Doncic had 27 points. The Phoenix Suns as a team had 27 points. Chris Paul was abysmal in this series, averaging in the last three games nine points and six turnovers. Devin Booker yesterday had 11 points. He had 15 turnovers his last two games of this series, and the only thing he did productively was bitch at the referees. That's the only thing he did well. Luka Doncic is the best, is the second best player in basketball behind Giannis Antetokounmpo. And it's crazy to think that the two best players in basketball are two players not born in the USA. You got Giannis from Greece, you got Luka from Slovenia. But these are the two best players in basketball. It's no longer Kevin Durant. It's no longer LeBron James. But that's a good thing. The league is growing. They're bringing in new superstars year after year. It continues to evolve. It continues to get better. Luka is taking it to guys. They're chirping him. They're making fun of him. He just continues to hit step-back Jays. He drives to the paint, and they bullied Chris Paul. Chris Paul looked like an old-ass man that shouldn't be on the court. He looked like the old guy at the Y that's still hanging around hoping to get subbed in. And you want to talk about good trades? How about at the trade deadline, the Dallas Mavericks trading Kristaps Porzingis, who's been nothing but a just a distraction, nothing but a dead weight, nothing but a guy that just clogs up the lane for the Dallas Mavericks. And they trade him to the Washington Wizards for St Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Bertans hasn't been great in these playoffs, but Spencer Dinwiddie in big games has been. He had 30 off the bench yesterday, including 17 in the second quarter. He's averaging 13 points uh, in the playoffs. He had 15 in game six. He had 30 in game seven. He's efficient. He's smart. He, he, he's a lethal from three. And I, I feel much more confident about the Celtics pick. I believe they're going to beat the Heat. I got Celtics. I'll reveal my pick tomorrow, but I like, I, I like the Celtics. I'm going to sleep on the on the uh, Golden State-Dallas series. I think it's going to be a good series. I 
I got I Luca is better than Steph Curry now. He's better than Klay Thompson. That but they're still the Warriors. They have championship pedigree, and the Dallas Mavericks haven't had they haven't had any since Dirk Nowitzki in 2011. But they're fun to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to the conference. Those start tomorrow with the NBA draft lottery first, and then you have Game One. Uh, Celtics in South Beach playing the Heat tomorrow night. So we're gonna I'm gonna break down all that tomorrow. React to some baseball. We'll talk about the World Hockey Championships a bit tomorrow as well. But lots to get into. Fun show today. Again, feaster famine pick of the days. Milwaukee Brewers plus uh minus one and a half. Arizona Diamondbacks plus one and a half on the road with Mad Bum on the mound. Awesome to be back today. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Let me know feedback, comments, uh, any anything with picks. Feel free to send me a message on To The Point, Facebook, DM, whatever whatever you want to do. I'm happy to help. We'll talk about golf picks later in the week when it comes to uh, betting. Can't wait for that. We'll do that on Wednesday show. So hope you guys have a great night. Enjoy the uh, – get some sleep tonight with no hockey, no basketball on. I know I will. And we'll talk tomorrow here on To The Point.